What up, homie? How you feeling? Hey, man. What's good? You know, so at the beginning, we do these things, right, where we talk about the the machinations of of, yeah. of the Rodney, of the, yeah. the new thing I'm trying or doing or whatever. And yeah. it has come to my attention that this could inadvertently uh, spur consumerism or feeling like I need to try a new thing. Mm. That is not at all my goal. I'm just sharing uh, this silly goings on. And really, it's the dynamic between me and you because I'm like, hey, I'm trying blah, blah, blah. And you're like, yep, nope. Nope, yep. nope, nope, nope. Because, <laughs> hey, the reality is I don't try 98% of these things. I'm not getting a matcha machine. I'm hey. not going on a soup cleanse. I'm not, when 99.9% going... of them show up at the door, my wife is like, well, why? What? What's, what's, <laughs> what, what, what? Why do you need that? So, what is it? <laughs> so, so today's shtick is just a public service announcement. That if for whatever reason this makes you feel pressured to try it, you don't have to. Don't I feel don't. that. In fact, call me because I can tell you which of the things have worked long term and which haven't. Mm. And it's higher fail rate than not. But sometimes what you this, what this what it really ain't. is is to show you that we are accessible and you can hit us up on the IG anytime and Rodney will talk to you about it. DMs are open, as this the kids say. The DMs are open. You can you can at me. Welcome back to the More in Common Podcast. I am Keith, your co-host, and this is 2021. Rodney, what's up today, man? What's happening? I'm, uh, you know, man, another day, another day. About to get into an episode, but first, I want to remind you that what Keith and I are about is anchoring ourselves and hopefully you in compassionate conversation. And the the heart of compassion is that it is something that every human being deserves. And it's not because I agree with you. It's not because I like you. It's just because you're you. Like, because of that, you get compassion. And that's what we're, we're exploring, what we're trying to demonstrate here in these conversations. I think this conversation is going to be a really excellent example of that in, in many ways. And Keith, so we got Isabel Stillman coming up. Like, what are we... Yeah. What do we get into? Yeah, man. I got to tell you, like, Isabel is just a soul that you always want to talk to. Like, the thing I remember most about this conversation was just the feeling I had when I was in it, just the calm presence. And this conversation is purely existential. Like, just from the beginning, starting with her trying to understand the impact of her creativity that it can have on her life and on the world, and just working through that as a young artist, a super talented musician. Um, and the thing I love about it is you would never know her roots, which we get into a little bit, um, because she's just so humble. And it is a great example of getting to know people for who they are and not for who you may think they are just because of some piece of information that you learned. Um, Not that I started the conversation with that kind of mindset, but I I put that out there for you because she just is a great example of someone you want to get to know simply because of the person she is. Um, So really excited to bring this episode to you today. And I got to remind you, I'm going to remind you, you don't have to, but I'm going to remind you, go to more in common ENT, 
www.morecommon.com to find all things more in common. Go there, you can find it all, and I'm gonna stop so you can get into this because you're that you're gonna enjoy. It. I'm just gonna put that. You're gonna enjoy it. All right. It gets to that point in the season. We walk downtown with open eyes. Like you have to combine reality and like idealistic success which means you have to be part of the capitalist hellscape and you have to pay your rent. And I think I'm getting closer to a combination of those things where I'm like, um, I am successful because I've chosen things that I like to do and I've figured out how to, how to have them sustain my livelihood. All right, welcome back. I am your co-host Keith with my man Rodney, and what it is. our guest today, Isabel Stillman. Welcome to the show, Isabel. Hi. Thank uh, you. Now, Isabel was raised in Missouri, now lives in LA, and as a guitarist, songwriter, and singer, she began creating her new album while working as a high school English teacher in Denver. Through a journey of self-realization, she would uproot herself to spend a year traveling on her first national tour, a momentum abruptly ended by the outbreak of the coronavirus. This massive change and the dismantling of her life as she knew it led Stillman to discover the beauty that comes from opening up, leading with heart, leaning into pain and confusion, and ultimately letting go. Stillman often attributes her groundedness to her strong family life. She craved music from an early age, always singing and growing up with her parents' music um, music as the soundtrack. Stillman was a teenager when she first picked up guitar, but school remained her primary focus. Systematic learning satiated her, the definition of success so clearly defined. Raised in a community that valued structure, Stillman embraced it, and yet her creativity continued to flow. In her latest and new album, Heart Render, it speaks to the universal struggle of opening oneself to new possibilities and relationships, opening your heart to the full spectrum of life. It acknowledges the human condition as one of growth from tragedy, reinvention from discovery, and resilience from pain. Abandoning the path of traditional genre and ignoring any guidelines, Heart Render is a celebration of self-awareness and the strength in surrendering control to the unexpected turns of a life less planned, cracked open, and more beautiful for it. I love you that. I love that bio. I think it's outstanding. I haven't heard that. I haven't like thought about it in months and I was shocked. <laughs> it's a good, it, it reads like it's, well. It's so it poetic. Well. I tried and, to, I tried to, tried to not screw it up too much. I had one. one it's interesting. Cause like I hadn't read the bio. Keith is the researcher. He looks into all everything he can find beforehand. I just, I just tried to vibe with like the one video of you. I saw, I was like, yep, I love, love the journey. Let's talk. And 
listening to the album and then listening to the bio, I was like, oh yeah, those are the words. I couldn't find words to describe what I was thinking. I was like, oh yeah, that's it. That's, that's, yep, it's a journey. <laughs> mm-hmm. Let's go. Yeah. So, nice. hi, so welcome. So, yes, welcome. And um, I don't, we, this definitely not our format, but um, highly recommend the album. So, go check it out. Um, and we'll it. put it in the show notes. So, our first question coming straight from our rapid fire. We asked you what you're interested in right now. And you said, the boundary between art and reality, and if there is one. And just tick that off and of my question. Let's go. I am, <laughs> what did you mean? Let's talk about it. I am curious. This is fascinating. This, this ethereal idea that let's you, get have, metaphysical, you, you know have introduced to mm. us. Okay. I think. So it's what I'm interested in right now. So I, I don't really have a formulated thought. But here are some things that I've been wondering about and experiencing. One is um, everybody's world is tiny. My world is tiny. Mm. I stay in my apartment all day. I just moved to Los Angeles in June during the quarantine. So I have no friends. I live with my partner. And I have a new teaching job and I'm in a new graduate program and I, I haven't met any of those people. I've met one of my coworkers. So, so I have a tiny, tiny life and I'm a creator. So I write songs and I write fiction. And um, that's that I've always done these things. I've always been like an artist making stuff. And so I think what I've seen during quarantine is whatever boundary there may or may not be between the thing that you're creating and the thing that you're existing shrink even further. I think sometimes when I am like, okay, so I have a, let's say I have a breakup and I write a song about it a couple weeks after it happens, Mm -hmm. the artistic rendition that I've created of the literal thing that happened um, is like, becomes the artifact from the situation from the event and i wonder as i become farther away from literal events happening and closer Mm -hmm. to like what i'm putting on a page where where the line between stuff that i create and stuff that actually happened is and and whether and how much it matters and like when is it too far like when are you like this is no longer reality this didn't actually happen you're making up an artistic thing and when is it like no this artistic take it is true in a different way than like the transcript of the event is true Mm. but still true what's the what's the quote is it art imitates life or are are often something that can't like i'm thinking of that but like Lots of questions here. One, what got you thinking about this? Yeah, that's a good like, start. Where'd you, what, what got you onto this track? Um, I am in a, so I'm in a grad program getting my MFA in like creative writing and my mm. MA in English at the same time. And one of them, I'm taking a creative nonfiction class where you write nonfiction, but you write it in a literary and creative way. And so the elements of fiction writing, like factor in, right? Like we learn about writing setting or we learn about writing a character or a plot and um, 
the way that nonfiction becomes creative is through the selection or the portrayal of those details mm -hmm. as something that's not journalistic, right? It's different than writing a newspaper article. It's not, here's what happened. It's the, it's the writer's hand creating the thing that happened. And so I think I've been thinking about it a lot in that class. Um, Makes sense. I went, go ahead. I'm no, you're good. Say something. Yeah. No, go ahead. Um, I went in February to an artist in residence program in France where hey. it was like, it was so, it was super was cool and super weird. And I saw it on an Instagram ad and thought it was a scam and applied and they gave me money to go. So I went. Wait, wait, I'm sorry. So you thought it was, was a scam and still applied? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. I, and I was, last year was a weird time. <laughs> so I applied to a lot of things that I thought might be scams and, and figured I would figure it out, figure it out later. And I got scammed a lot. I got really yeah. scammed oh, a boy. few times. Um, so I went to this artist residency, it's like in the countryside of France, in the chateau that's been there since, you know, the 1700s, and the cousin of the guy who wrote The Little Prince owned it for a while, and it's like been lived in by all of these artists, it has this whole history, and now this guy bought it when it was like dilapidated and falling over, and started an artist residency program, so he brings people from around the world to there for two weeks and you write, you just make your stuff. There's a studio Something artist amazing. or there's a performance artist. It was really cool. It was also, um, there were conflicts in the Chateau in the two weeks we were there. Mm -hmm. There were icky men doing things they shouldn't. And it became in this artistic house of artists an artistic look at the literal facts of what was happening. Mm. Then in my creative nonfiction class, I went back and wrote about it. Mm. And so I had like whatever months of distance, rethinking what happened in the house and also thinking about how artists perceive reality differently. If they do. Mm. That's sort of where that, que that, that question comes from. Or why it I'm is. About it now remarkable like i i love existential thoughts um because there's there's so much like even when you're writing nonfiction, it's rooted in someone's reality right right so someone might be reading it and like that's me that's my reality but it was made up so where is to your point that line well, right. to that point, I, yeah. I write a lot of fantasy and create a lot of characters and cool. I'm a part of every single one of them. Like I can tell you like, oh, yeah, yeah. this character is like Cobbin, Cobbin, where, where did my Boston come yeah. from? It's Cobbin copy. Uh, it's <laughs> Carbon copy of me or it's like not nah, just that one aspect of their, uh, you know, psychology and whatnot. And now you like, I love this question because I, I think about it and for me, the writing has actually helped me deal with different elements of my psyche or personality as I've written mm -hmm. them. So there's another aspect of like the boundary between art and reality. Like I, I think that sometimes the art has helped me take a separated view of myself to help me deal with parts of myself that I just couldn't see. There's this, so in um, therapy, um, I started uh, EMDR, which is eye movement, radi desensitization, 
rapidization. R. I don't know R. what the R is, but yeah. <laughs> I can never remember the R. And the whole premise behind it is to go into, in a way, a deep meditative state, but it's really to reflect dream state. So it's to reflect REM in a, in a wake state. So you can go back to certain, whether they're, it's, it's used in managing trauma um, in all of its forms and fashions, uh, trauma on the spectrum. And there's this space that I've gone to in the past, in those moments where I've experienced like life altering psychological circumstances, mm -hmm. whatever they may be. And it's put yourself back there and just kind of work, walk that person, the child through it. And, and like, as your current adult and, and it gets so deep, you're almost seeding an idea inception style. I'm not creating a memory. I'm not remembering reality different, but I'm treating reality differently. So now in present state, I have a much different perception on life and how I mm -hmm. am and who I am. And I have a better attachment to myself all because I married fiction with reality to come up with a new strain of existence that makes me feel better as the person I am. So it's, it's just that like, it, and it, it's, it's, it doesn't it's have surreal. to go too far. Right. Like it's such a cool idea that they, and by the way, I'm just thinking about these things as you bring this up, because mm -hmm. I think there's such a cool idea when you mention that idea of does it, can it go too far? I mean, if it's going to create damage for somebody else, but if it's going to help you process and, and right. I think that's probably it, where like, like gaslighting you know? comes in because you can damage yeah. people's idea of reality by seeding thoughts. Right. Um, and you're thus hurting someone else in that case. Yeah. Then, then maybe it goes too right. far. But uh, eye movement right. but desensitization like... and reprocessing. And that's reprocessing. It <laughs> that's it. There it is. Sorry, I go ahead. I think there's Isabel. something cool in the discovery, like both of you are set, like that a recreation or a fictional creation or, or an artistic manifestation of a thing that literally happened in like the three-dimensional physical world recreating that artistically can can rewrite the thing that happened or like um push you through the thing that happened to a different realization yeah. about it and i think that like right that's like that's why creating stuff is therapeutic because it yeah. gets you to, the, to a different place and i think then it's also therapeutic in that like the next moment you encounter that feels some weird way or is some weird way or has some confusion. Like for me, it's sort of like, oh, this actually, I actually have control over what this situation is to me, what this thing, what effect this has on me, because now I've seen myself reinterpret my life in the role of the artist of it or the writer of it. And make peace with something or realize something or feel like I can like digest and handle something. And so I think that like, yeah, the therapy of it or like the place, the not going too far part is being like, Oh, I can actually handle things in life. Maybe with like a little more peace of mind or a little mm -hmm. more like agency. You, there's so many threads on this. I want to go into creativity real quick. You, said quite a few things about it one of the things you said very nonchalantly which i think is it's fascinating for me because i've not always been a creator when you mentioned you write songs and fiction 
you said I've always done these things, and you said it's so calm. It's just like mm. I'm just. So, when's your earliest experience of of writing? I like or memory. Sorry, earliest memory I, of writing. I'm not. I don't have a specific memory. All I like. I I have like a memory of like the visual of a legal pad with my my like little kid handwriting on it. Mm -hmm. I used to. I used to give my brother stories for Christmas. He, I, he's two years older than me. And I would like go to the art store and get one of those just blank books. And I'd like write a story about Christmas for him and then like wrap it up. And that would be like my present oh, for that's him. That's cool. I, I like always, yeah, I think I always wrote stories. And then I did that through I you know I was like the kid in elementary school who handed in like 30 pages when it was like write a two-page story I was like that <laughs> kid that every teacher never wanted to grade and then I did it all through college it was like my major was English and creative writing and I always sang I was like you know like making my mother film me singing the artist formerly known as the Dixie Chicks now known as the Chicks on <laughs> our home video camera when I was like three being like mom whatever and I did both of those things but I didn't ever write songs until I moved to Denver and was like a grown up and had my first real job. And then I was like, I write stories, I sing songs, I'm gonna do it together. So I've always written fiction, huh. but I haven't always written songs. How did your family respond to those things? Like your brother and your parents? Kindly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they would like awesome. wanna read my stories yeah. and, and they'd be like, sing wide open spaces again or whatever. Mm. Positive, positive for sure. It, I ask because it seems like you have a very positive relationship with creativity and and I've and I'm just trying to understand it a little bit because uh mine has not always been so positive and I think it's awesome I I, I wonder if it plays into some of the other themes I'm hearing but I want to give Keith a space to ask about creativity or talk about creativity if you want one Keith I have a question as a result of it, but um, it. so I won't go there because okay. you want to stay on this. It's going to pivot us, but I, I like to Rodney's point on the relationship with creativity. Like, so I think so many people, I am instantly reminded of an old manager I didn't have, but dotted line to. And we were at um, sales offsite thing. And I was sitting next to my boss and they, they were talking and he was talking about how he was going to send his daughter to college. He was going to pay for it. And he goes, I'm only paying for it. If you get a degree in something that's going to make money, I don't want to hear you coming home with some liberal mm -hmm. arts art degree. Um, and she goes, yeah, but I want to study engineering or something. He's like, perfect, I'll pay for it. And it, mm -hmm. and I'm making it as caustic as I remember it because it was one of those machismo type of things like, right. you know, uh, my daughter's not going to do this. Right. Um, he didn't say it that way. Um, and I see so many people. I'm, I'm not, I haven't always tried to express creativity, but I have stories and it just was never something that was encouraged or fostered or it was more mm -hmm. go do things that make money. Um, so I'm curious to understand how you felt in creating in, in at growing up and in your family. Yeah. Yeah, I think like 
I I think I definitely had that complex. Like my relationship with with creativity hasn't always been like we're BFF, and I think that's a lot of what I'm thinking about now with like pursuing creative things. Mm. Um, when I was in college, like I always loved to read and write, whatever. So when I was in college, I was like, okay, I want to be an English major. Um, that feels obvious because that's what I like to do. And I'll take creative writing classes too. But the like year after year as I was moving through those programs and then I was like writing my thesis, which was short stories. I just, I like felt worse and worse about it. Mm. Not because my family was putting any pressure on me, I don't think. But because everybody around me was like, well, then what are you going to do? Right. Or like, how are you going to make any money? Or like, oh, I got a job on Wall Street and I'm renting this enormous apartment in New York, whatever. And that the, like those things aren't wrong. Like you cannot graduate and get a job as a novice. You, yeah. you can't survive. You can't pay the bills. Yeah. Our society doesn't value things like this. You can't just decide you're going to be a singer songwriter and put your resume somewhere and get a salary. It, we, we do not, we do not value creativity financially at all. And so I think that, it was less like someone was telling me that that's unvaluable as a skill and more like the world was like, okay, the joke's going to be on you when mm. this is what you have. Um, and so I think I went into teaching because it, you can get a job as a teacher and they won't pay you well, but they'll pay you something and you'll have something to do. And um, that seemed like maybe the intersection of those two things. Um, but I think part of part of like the narrative that the world is telling you is like, okay, well, if we're not going to pay you money for it, then if you're going to choose that, it's selfish. It's selfish because it means you're isolated and it means you're alone and it means you're just doing a thing that you want that contributes nothing to like the broader economic capitalist world. And so I think like, my relationship with creativity has been a lot about how do I how do I pay my bills alongside this in a way that fosters this for me? And also how do I break that mindset that if I do creative things, I'm self-indulgent or I'm like like being weird and selfish. Where are you on that journey? So confused. <laughs> I'm getting better. I'm getting like, better. It's it. it just, it just so brilliant the way you said it. I'm curious. Like getting better is it? I, I'm curious to know what that means because you two both said we don't value creativity. However, one of the biggest industries on the planet is in Hollywood, yeah. and seeing like yeah. there is an yeah. industry around it. I think we're not very thoughtful about how we think. Like. Right. It's not open to everybody and it's not vast, right? Like it's vast in its isolation and its distribution. It's it's vast in its distribution, but it's not like I could do tech anywhere with any firm, you know, big, small partner, whatever yeah. the case, right? It's I value art that entertains me. It's about me, yeah. not about you. It's not about the yeah. artists doing their thing. It's about entertaining me is what it's really, I think. Right, and and I value art that makes money. And also like, 
it's not an industry that's open to everybody and none of them are like Mm. so so it's not super unique it's not like well this is the only thing that we don't value like we don't value giving people a bunch of opportunities to pick from we don't we value like putting everybody in their place yeah so if you're this person in hollywood who's going to be the blockbuster and make us a bunch of money then you have a place here and we'll pay you if you are on wall street and you've gone to these fancy schools and you've done this fancy stuff then we value you but like if you're not from a prep school we're probably not going to hire you like so so yeah i think that's a, i think that's a good point and yeah reveals that it's not or like points out that it's not just about the creative industry i think there's a big i think conversation about value even in those other areas but i want to ask you about your relationship how would you characterize your relationship with risk with risk with risk oh my god <laughs> huh? are you averse okay. are you a fan do you has it changed over time i think it's changed over time and i think it's connected to this thing i i think um i don't know okay um my i have this big family and a very we have family values and we have family traditions and we have family ways um and we are very very close and that exists and one of the pillars of those family values it's where christian family my grandfather was a minister and a politician and so a lot of our um family values come from the bible one of them is the parable of the talents which i won't tell you the whole thing but the the point of it is to whom much is given much is expected oh i thought that was from spider-man i'm being sarcastic (laughs) it's true it also is it's not uni my grandfather didn't invent it but like we're very lucky we have the means to do a lot of things and the lesson that comes with that is like if you have a lot of things you have to do a lot of good you have to give a lot back you have to sow the seeds not squander what you have etc and i think that lesson has hit so far home so like deeply to me that at times it's interfered with my creativity and made me buy into the thing of if i'm sitting in my house writing songs if i'm sitting in my house writing stories i'm not giving I'm just doing a thing from I'm just sitting alone. I'm not giving. If I'm a teacher, like check that box. I'm giving back. I'm teaching kids every day. Like that's an easy way to to be that way in the world. Um, and so I think taking risks for me falls into that dichotomy of thinking. Is like, uh, am I taking a risk that is using? the blessings that I have to create more blessings in the world, or am I taking a risk because I think it's fun? So I got my degree in teaching and then I went and I taught in Denver for two years. And during that time is when I started writing songs. And after like a year and a half, I was like, I think I wanna do this. I think I wanna take this risk and go and and try to do this thing. And I was like racked with guilt about Mm. taking that risk because like, what is a singer songwriter doing for society? Like, I'll play to like my aunt and my mom at like a couple different shows, whatever. Like, this is just for me. This is just for me. This is just for me. And I think my relationship with this whole, with creativity and self-indulgence and risk-taking and like 
my role in society has been a lot about that like the best thing you can do the best way you can give and and be is like by doing the thing that fuels you that connects you that makes you feel like a living breathing human and so I think my relationship with taking risks has become much more flexible and much more accepting of like of like the idea that who I am is like the best gift I can give. Do you still see, do you you still struggle with that, that selfishness feeling that shame that comes along with creativity? Yeah. Why is it, do you think that creating is a self, because in in, a frame this, because so much art is given to the world that makes other people and if you become really successful at it you can make a lot more money at it and give way more right Right. um but you still see it as a selfishness is how Mm -hmm. why is that i think it's because my like sphere of influence is so small like Mm. if i were a super famous writer i don't think i would feel like that because i'd have all this evidence that i had affected and moved all of these people or I provided something but it was hard it has been hard for me to convince myself that I'm writing a story right now that I'm going to submit to literary magazines and nobody's going to accept it because they accept like 0.01% of the things so I have no sphere of influence I have like you know 5,000 listens on my most recent Spotify song thing it's like yeah and and it's like i'm getting better at being like yeah that counts like that is worth a great deal and i get to decide how much that's worth but i think i think through this process it's been hard for me to convince myself that if i'm drawing like three people to a show in outside of chicago that i'm in it for anyone but myself i have to i know rodney you have something to share um or ask but I honor that feeling greatly. And I know Rodney does as well. When we started this podcast, um, this something I've had to work through for the last three years is this idea that was ingrained in me is that to do the things that you dream of doing, it takes a very small percent. Like I wanted to be a professional baseball player and only so many people of the popular, this math was broken down to me as a kid. So it's like, if you're not going to be that, then don't be that. Right. Right. And so, um, for Rodney and I used to talk about this all the time, this idea, like this podcast, if it is not going to be Joe Rogan style, and it is not going to have a hundred million dollar Spotify deal. Then, like, what's the point? Right. And then all of a sudden, we would get like somebody that came along and was like, "Hey, this whole thing did this whole thing," and it was like, "Wow, we did that for one person." Mm-hmm. And I've it has taken a lot of work. So I just totally honor where you're at with it to come to this place of. Like we don't have this massive following yet, but just each and every day, it's like something changes somebody's life somewhere and it's pretty awesome. It's pretty cool. It's pretty amazing. It was really hard to come to. So I totally get where you're coming from. Yeah. It's, um, 
it's kind of uh, so a similar framework. Uh, I come from a very similar family framework as yours, not as maybe big a family, but like the Christian framework. And uh, mm. I think that the question that just popped in my head, listening to you both was kind of like, when does making the responsible decision become irresponsible? Mm. Like when I'm totally. doing this for society and for good, but putting myself aside at what, like there's the, the law of diminishing returns in mathematics would tell us that, <laughs> It's only going to last for so long. Like you, and and it's and I'll say this forever, and people get sick of it. But it's like you can't pour from an empty cup. Totally. If I'm drained because what I'm doing, I feel no no connection to. How can I give the best to my girls and to my wife and to my dogs and to the person on the street? And you know, if I feel that like my soul was being sucked out by the meaningless job that I have that doesn't serve anybody, like what's the Sure, the money's good, but what does that mean um, in the long run? Right. And so I love, I love how you came, how you brought it to that. Well, if I'm being back to you, like if you're being served, you can serve. Um, if you're taking care of yourself, you can take care of others. And then for somebody like me who like speaks the language of music by or it, it you know it. I get so much out of hearing people's stories and journeys and it helps me move on my journey, hearing where other people have said, mm -hmm. so I don't have to experience the same things. Or if we have experienced the same things, there is a, you know, there's a camaraderie. It's like, Oh, it's not just me. Right. I'm not alone. Um, so that's, yeah, but super cool. I, I asked, <clears throat> I asked the question about risk because I mean, you kind of got into it. Like, the things that you, the, the, the residency in France and the the other things are scans, but you applied anyway. Like, which wh I what, really want to understand. What is the thing? Because yeah. like you did that, and like you what you did the music thing anyway, even with the framework of like maybe this isn't right, but like you took the risk. Yeah. Do you know why? Do you know why you took those risks? Did you feel like I it was gonna I, fuel you? Yeah, I think I had a hunch. I think. I like I I think I just honored the fact that I wanted to do it for a reason that like I had this poll that was like I need to see what this music thing is about and I think um I have nostalgia for being an undergraduate student and just writing stories all day and the way that I felt then which oftentimes was really bad because I was 20 and it sucks to be 20 but often was really good because I was reading and writing all day and I was like this is like I this is Isabel like I'm being mm -hmm. here I am I think also like a part of this is and y'all both touched on this is like um shifting the measure of what you're doing away from a measurement maybe I'm not saying this but like like how many listens do I have how many tickets am I selling how big is my podcast or whatever is measuring the thing that you're doing in like a production capitalist structure. Like how much am I producing every day? How much am I producing? And when you focus on that, you're fueling the capitalist hellscape, first of all. Secondly, you're focusing on the end <laughs> and not the, yeah. <laughs> the, like the, the, the product and not the process. And I think, um, I 
I come from a world where people are very focused on the product. How much success are you having? I was yeah. teaching in a school that was super database, all the numbers, like how much success are you having? How much are you producing? And there was a part of me that wanted to resist that. That was like, I don't actually think that's the measure of humans is like how many things you do in a day or like what percentage of whatever thing or like what your paycheck is. Like there is another way to live really well, which is what you're talking about, Rodney, is like um, the connections. Like how connected am I to a community? How happy am I when I wake up in the morning? And what if those were our measurements instead of like how big is the thing that I'm doing going to be? You um, then, do you mind if I go? Do you have a comment or a question? Yeah, comment on okay. that thing. Yeah, go for it. I okay. have a question. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, uh, and we we talk. Keith and I talk about this a lot because we're both very resistant to like look at how many followers we have or look at our downloads. And there is like they are actually important, like for the mission that we have. Like we we right. want to reach people. We want to be heard. Not. For, I mean, there are selfish reasons, but like it's for the grander vision of what we have. And so those things are important. Right. Like if if we were if we were at like one listener after three years, like maybe we're not doing something right. Like like because right. there's this like and, and it was like shifting to what's what's success. And for us, it was like incremental progress, even if it's one person mm-hmm. every three months or two, like whatever it meant for us. But we, we struggle with it because it's like, ah, I don't want to just be like chasing followers or listens or right. likes. However, I should see how many are there. Like I should yeah. know if there are any because it is important because uh, I know it's possible to make a living doing this. It is possible. So like yeah. maybe we should do those things so I can do the thing I'm connected to all the time. Right. All right. We're going to take a little break here. I want to tell you about something pretty amazing that we stumbled upon. A little ways back, we interviewed this amazing dude, Kwame Bowen, and he shared with me after the episode that his mother is a poet. And what's awesome about that is that he has all of her writings and all her poems, but what he doesn't have is her reading them. That inspired Keith and I to then start recording videos for our daughters. And as we started recording those videos, we started running into the challenges, the challenges of Where are we going to send them to our daughters? How are we going to get them to them? Where are we going to save them? Is it going to be Google Drive? Is it going to be OneDrive? And then along came GiftPod. It's an audio memory that you can record and give as a private podcast. What they're going to do is edit, add music, and produce the audio that you provide them into a professional podcast that you can share with your family members for any purpose. We use it for our daughters in the future. All right, so check it out. In the write-up for this podcast, you're going to see a link to GiftPod. If you use promo code MIC10, you're going to get a discount. And uh, leave some amazing memories for your friends, family, loved ones, maybe for yourself. What, why don't you time capsule this for yourself? I don't know. So check them out. Giveagiftpod.com. MIC10 promo code. Am I supposed to have bruises on my wrist the next day? Was I being mean when I told him I didn't want to stay? Was it normal for him to up and leave? Well, I'm frozen right here on my knees, Mama. I didn't know. Why didn't you tell me? Um. 
So you nailed it. You you hit a point, and you mentioned this, Isabel, and it was in your bio. Success clearly defined. So what is what is that definition of success that has been imparted upon you, and where are you now, both? Mentally and emotionally, because I think they could be different if they're not the same. Um, on what success means to you, and I will leave、mm-hmm. that question with this comment. It's the first time it started to get dark while we've been doing these interviews, and I just love the yellow lighting behind me. You're, 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 you're. I, I want. I wish. I want to turn off your feeds.、So、you can't see yourself.、Um, I just love. <laughs> You're ridiculous. Oh my god, it's <laughs> funny. I thought you were gonna say something profound about. I know、life. I was on purpose. <laughs> ridiculous. Um. Okay, what's the question?、Uh, I think. <laughs> what was the question? I think question one was、like、the definition the, of success imparted upon you. I think the definition of success that I got was not. Necessarily told to me explicitly,、mm-hmm. but was like modeled and was like the the trajectory that people where I'm from were put on, which was like educational success, which leads to like prominence, general prominence in the world. I like my my grandfather is a senator and a politician. My mom started a school. My father owns a sports team. People in my family have done big things. They've started things. They've they're we're very St. Louis. A lot of people like have, like we stay in St. Louis and we do good things for St. Louis and we do big good things. And I think that model from my family is、um, no one ever said to me like you better make it big, Isabel. They said the opposite a lot a lot of times like be yourself and be good, you know. But I think that model is I, those are the models that I have, and then in the educational institutions that I went to, those were also the things. It's like, what are you going to be? Who, how are you going to like be this whole thing? And I also, so I think it's like something about like that definition was like prominence. Whatever you do, do it big. Don't just be like middle of big or go home something, right? And I think also. I mean, there's money tied to that, certainly. I think also there's like I'm 26, which is the age that everybody starts to get engaged, and everybody's like, some people are buying a house, and some people are doing、Especially、things that I'm not.、Midwest. Some people, have, yeah, right, right. Some people have had the same job since they graduated, and now like they're the whatever VP of marketing or something. And I think that、uh, that definition of that quote.、Oh, That definition of success is something that is around me a lot as well. Is like how much, how well are you managing adulthood, and、mm-hmm. how quickly are you getting、mm-hmm. to being called an adult? And so I think those, yeah, that like do well in the institutions so that you can be some lottied up person and like get it together really quick. I have I a question. Tell how you really feel about this. <laughs> I have a question for both of you.、Um, <clears throat> I recently heard somebody say that something along the lines that fully real to become a fully realized adult, you're going to have to do something that disappoints your parents. What do you、mm-hmm. like? I'm 
think about it. What do y'all think about it? I, I have an idea, but I don't want to share it yet. It's probably true. At least something different from your parents. Maybe not. Maybe you're supposed to do. <gasps> Yeah, I mean, you have to have some sort of agency. I think there is some merit to it. I don't know if it has to go full on disappointment, but it has to challenge your parents. Mm. I think I think you have to do something that challenges your parents perspective of reality. Like when I moved yeah. to Chicago on my own, um, without a job, I had support mm. from my family and none of them were disappointed. And my mom knows, like she'll even tell me like you had to do it, but it wasn't anything that was in her reality. It was nothing like she had never, she just moved away from home for the first time at 61 right? When she moved to Ohio to be close to us. So like, there's gotta, I think there's gotta be something that, that challenges the reality. If you're going to be truly yourself and, and represent, I love mm -hmm. the word agency that you used Isabel. I don't know if you have a thought on this. Yeah, I think that's true. I think that doing something different, if only because like, your generation is not the same as your parents' generation. And so if you're really actualizing in the world that you're actualizing in, then you have to do something different. And I, yeah. and I also, real quick, want to mm -hmm. add, like, I think you may end up in the circle that they expect you, but I still think to truly be accepting of it and, and aligned to it as an individual doing something that challenges that narrative is the only way that you're going to find out that that is the narrative that you want to weave. Right. I, um, I really dislike, uh, binaries, like things that are just like this. No, not even binaries, like, like absolute truth. It's like the idea of like it's absolute truths. Yeah. Um, I, however, find this one personally to be extremely true. And mm. I think, what at the heart of it, what it's saying is you're raised a certain way. And I, I love how you said, like, you live in a different generation, like thoughts and what's available to you is going to change. So your parents are going to expect this, but you got to do this to make it. And in order to be you, you will have to at some point do something that your parents don't understand, can't understand. And whether or not you have a conflict about it is a whole nother thing. But um, that has been absolutely true for me. Like it, it, I remember like committing to, for me, like I'm, I'm a huge, huge Dungeons and Dragons nerd now, but like I grew up in a, in a, in a place in Indiana where if you play Dungeons and Dragons, you worship mm -hmm. Satan. That was very time. Uh, apparently. Time too, yeah. Yeah. Like, and so how's, like, how's Satan treating you these days? Uh, we had a seance the other day. We cool. Like, like, and the thing about it is the people that I know that would that still or would believe that are like the ones that would love it the most because it's about storytelling and friendship and all kinds of stuff. But anyway, that's this is not a sales pitch for that. What it is, though, is like 
I remember my dad was like, what do you want for your birthday? And I had some like D&D books and a wish list. And he was like, oh, I'm going to get you a record. And I was like, yeah, I knew I like I did it to push his button. Like I did it because I was like, will he buy me this? I know he won't, but it's OK. Dad, I love you. And I love that you don't get it. And it's OK. But it's like mm-hmm. when I put my foot down and said, you know what? This is for me. Like this isn't for them. Right. It isn't for how I grew up. This is something that fulfills who I am and who I'm trying to be, period. Like it's not because I don't love you or I don't believe things that you believe or maybe I don't. And that's still okay. Like it absolutely flipped a switch on like who I am in this, in this world, in this world and reality and actuality. Right. And I think you point out an interesting other part of that process, which is the forgiveness of the fact that they don't understand that you can get over the fact that like your mom or dad, like doesn't think you should do that anymore is like really the sign that you're like, but I'm my own self. But mm-hmm. I make my own decisions and not letting the like that disappointment be definitive to who you are, definitive to what you do. It's like, okay, I see your point. And I'm an adult, so I do what I want. Do you think so? I go back to my three part question. Um, <laughs> to, oh, I'm sorry. Did I, did I break no, into your three? No, part I, 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 I don't know why I asked three part questions. I remember what they are. So now I just have to ask them again. Where, how do you perceive success now? And how do you feel about where you are? Um, I don't know. That's like the biggest question of all the questions. Um, I think I am getting closer to doing things that I want to do. And also getting closer to like, like you have to combine reality and like idealistic success, which means you have to be part of the capitalist telescope and you have to pay your rent. And I think I'm getting closer to a combination of those things where I'm like, um, I am successful because I've chosen things that I like to do and I've figured out how to, how to have them sustain my livelihood. I also think, um, I don't know. I think a lot about like community in success in terms of success and like a thing that I, I don't think it's definitively success, but it's a thing that I want to have is like a community and people. And I think that is connected to this idea that we're talking about of like, well, if one more person listens next month, then we're building something and we're building something human and we're building something that's connective. And it also like works against that false idea that anything creative is like isolated. You have to be a hermit and and you're not giving anything. So I think I'm more, this isn't articulate. I'm like working this out of my head as you're saying it, but I think it's like, I am, I'm doing the functioning, the typical functioning adult part where like I pay my own rent, part one. Part two, I'm doing things that make me happy, which for me is like creative stuff. Part three, I'm like finding, I'm like making my place in the world. I'm starting to have a community, um, which is very hard to do in quarantine. 
Where? Yes, it is. I can't like you mentioning all the new stuff in quarantine. I can't imagine right now. Um, mm-hmm. God, I feel. Yeah, I feel uh, what? Where did you? When Keith asked that question, man, uh, if if you can recall, where did you go? Like from a feeling standpoint. Uh, some self doubt. I think. I think I went into some mm-hmm. fear. I think. I was talking to my mom and I was just home for Thanksgiving with a lot of tests in between. And then I was talking to my mom and my younger sister too, who um, she's 24, which is sort of like, I don't know. Now she's been out of college for two years and she's sort of being like, okay, maybe this is what life is about. And we were talking about, there are so many images of what life is supposed to be about and when you're supposed to get there, right? You're supposed to be like an adult and you're supposed to like have a job and get married and have kids and have a house and then you did it. And I think I have spent a lot of my adult-ish life trying to get it, trying to be like, found it. I found my job, I found my place. I found my person, I found my right combination. And for me, that's not like, for me that includes songwriting and, and creativity and teaching and whatever, whatever that looks like for me. But I think I've been trying to be like, this time I've got it nailed down. Now I'm gonna quit my job for music, then I'm gonna, that's gonna be it. Now I'm gonna go back to school, that's it. Now I'm gonna teach, that's it. Okay, no, maybe I found it now, maybe I found it now. And, and actually like, that's, big ass hoax like that is no you don't get it there's no such thing as settling you don't figure it out and so i think i'm i'm rethinking success as like i'm balancing these parts but i'm not like defining them i'm not like and i've made it check now i think i'm like here are the things that i want and i also want to always be thinking about different things that i want Thank you for sharing that. I um I just want to so like I'm actually really curious now to to play this back because what I saw like exactly what you said when he asked you kind of there was like a timidity <laughs> and like a shyness almost and then you snapped into an answer that felt secure and strong like you were like well here's what I'm here here's what it is and then there was one moment of doubt when you said creativity it, w- it had this downward inflection on creativity. Really? Yeah. And um, so that's why I asked. So it's very interesting, like seeing you process it kind of real time, like you were saying, I just wanted to share that back, but it was super cool. Yeah. And thank you. Cause that's like, that's, that's like vulnerability in action. So appreciate you. There's this funny thing in being the two of us, 12 years, um, 12 years, you're senior and about two years behind your evolution. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, there, there's this, that, that whole, everything you just said is just, it brings up so much of our journey and mm. the one we're on and, mm. and it frames it in a way I hadn't thought of it before, probably for the last year, maybe even the last three months, quite honestly, um, personally have been in this place of, I have this job that pays me my bills and supports my, you know, contributes half of the income to my household and my, for my kids and my family. And then I have this other thing that we're building to be both. And they are both in 
existence currently. And I am, I've actually never been happier because I enjoy the day. Like my wife and I talked yeah. about this this morning. She goes, if anybody tells me any other day of the week other than Friday is their favorite day to work, um, I, I'll tell them they're lying. And I said, well, at the job that pays me, I totally agree. But my other job, Monday is actually my favorite day of the week to work because I have the whole week ahead to do all of these things that I love to do, <laughs> right? And Friday is actually my most miserable day to work on that other than the interviews because it's like, now I'm assessing, did I get everything I needed to get done? Did I do that? Now I've got two days where I'm excited about family time, but it's like, I want to do all this stuff all the time. And like, but it's taken a really long time because like you, it's Rodney and I have tried other business ventures and, it, and it's all based on this principle of, I don't want to work for a company anymore and it will snap into yeah. this thing. And, yeah. it will, and like, it's just such a journey that all of those things will happen when they happen. But this space of success is, is just enjoyment of every day in a way that I've right. never experienced in my life. And I love that you're, you're on that and I see it and I, in your words, I hear like these last three years of my life all <laughs> encapsulated in that, those, those few moments. So are yeah. you familiar with cool. the term, the word Ikigai? No, I-K-I-G-A-I. I'll send you an email with it. Okay. Um, it's uh, been in multiple show notes. It'll be in this one too. It's <laughs> loosely, it's a Japanese word and loosely translated into reason for being uh, or purpose. Mm. And it, it, the framework that it that it lays out is fantastic, um, and it's it's actually helping me like through this finding of my ikigai mm. and balancing all of these because the the four main areas are it tries to balance are like what you're good at, what you love doing, what the world needs, and what you can get paid for. And it's like if you can find mm. the confluence of those things, bam, you're doing something right. like. And I feel that in in feel what we're doing with this. So I just I like to bring it up when I talk to other creators. Actually, not even just creators, like anybody. Um, Can I ask you a question? And I'm, I don't know, like I'm. A, you do that to me all the time. <laughs> um, I don't know why I'm like. I think because it's a public question. Do you think in your pursuits, like the what you just painted for your family? which doesn't even get into your background and experience of living in, I don't even know what it's like to live with a, a senator and a father who owns a baseball team or a sports team. You didn't say baseball, but um, like that's a lot. And then to pursue the creative side of things, which kind of really frames up that mentality around creative that you talked mm -hmm. about earlier, that, guilt about it it's self-indulging but you know it's not going to make money and all this other stuff do you think in this pursuit that you've disappointed your parents in any way like what's that dynamic like at this point it sounds positive but i'm curious no i don't think there's disappointment no i think there's a lot of i think i think my family's really proud of me oh, that's and i awesome. think a lot of my personal work has been dispelling the things that I've told myself that they want rather mm -hmm. than dispelling the things that they actually want. I think, um, it's a faster journey. That's for sure. Yeah. I think I like thought that 
doing music for whatever when I quit my job would be like they'd be like really like but they weren't I think that the one the like most recent version of this well I don't know I think they're very proud of my like um professional choices I think that they're their attitude toward music was like definitely try it if it doesn't become a financial like possibility then find something else also but like mm -hmm. try it while you, when you want to try it and do it and figure it out and and i did and i figured it out and i didn't really like touring or like the, the that world i didn't really like it and so i didn't and so now i have a teaching job and i whatever this and that i think the one of the uh, the current sticking points is relationship wise i live with my boyfriend which is like not in our traditional Understand sense that. of yep of christian of values christian values and so it's been a never like a conflict thing but definitely like a oh my god what do we do if our kid says that they want to do this like elephant in the room kind of how thing. do we approach yeah and and we've like gotten over it but i still get like some side comments about like okay and so, so there's not disappointment but and i think that my parents to their credit approach a lot of what their kids do that's different from what they did with a lot of curiosity and love that's super like cool. oh Amazing. cool how'd you how'd you get to that idea like word i'm gonna be on board as as much as I can and also push you when you need to be pushed. Mm -hmm. And that's amazing. That's, that's lucky. That's lucky. That for I, yeah, I'd agree. I mean, I'll second that for my parents, like that, that, that whole, like try it. And if you fail, we'll be right here. Kind of like, it really right. gave me the comfort to come out to LA and try a new sales job and be like, well, if it's, if I can't do it, I can just go back home. Like, cool. Like it, it didn't, it didn't take the risk away, but it made it different. Totally. Yeah. Totally. And it's, it makes you able then to confront the thing or do the thing that you're trying to do way more wholeheartedly, which is probably going to lead to greater success anyways. Because then it's not so much just fear-based. Fear yeah, exactly. Totally. Like, it's not just, <laughs> well, if I don't, then I won't be able to eat and I won't have any place right. to live. And what am I going to do? It's more like, right. yeah, a little bit, uh, uh, one weight less. Which we could right. all probably use. Totally, that's, totally. That's um, that's very cool. It is actually a consistent theme. That, and we talk to a lot of people who pursue. Heck, mm. one of our seasons was all about pursuit, and um, the the absolute number one qualifier is uh, emotional support. From, mm -hmm. from some parental figure, whether it was a grandparent, a mom, or a dad. Uh, one of the coolest stories we had a guest on recently uh, who just left a nice cush corporate thing to enter into his own. And um, he tells the story about like how his dad, once he started, at first he was like, you know, is this what you want to do? Do you want to give it two more years? Yada, yada, yada. And um as he started, his dad was like, okay, so how do I promote this? How do I tell all my friends? How, like, what do yeah. I need to do to help make this a success for you? And I think that's all amazing. And it's, it's, that's a very cool life experience. Now it has, it sounds to me and it looks to me 
and which I appreciate that you are really doing everything you can to pursue this on your own. And I wouldn't ask that. I mean, given the pedigree from which you come, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's an easy thing to hear that story for all your fans and anybody who's interested and go, oh, she's Silver Spoon. She's made this, you know, right. taking it on. But it sounds to me like you're really trying to do this on your own and you're, you, you've got your own publicist and you're, you know, moving and you went on tour. What's that been like for you? And am I assessing that correctly? Um, I imagine. Yeah. Yeah. You are assessing that correctly. I think, um, I certainly had a silver spoon and at the same time that I had a silver spoon was not, was taught not to take advantage of the silver spoon. Mm. Um, I think, yeah, a lot of lessons in my childhood were about that. I think my family very consciously like handles that balance very consciously of like, um, silver. Yeah. You can't, I don't know what the metaphor is, but like, don't go eat creme brulee every day. Like go dig a garden with your silver spoon, like get, you're not cool. Like you're just a person and we have a lot anything yeah yeah and and we and we have a lot and that's a that's a blessing and it's come from a lot of people's hard work um but it's not enough to define define you or it's not Mm. like um an easy way out and i think um i i think i also took that to heart maybe a little bit more harshly than i needed to because i think something that i've also learned particularly being a person who wants to pursue creative things in which there is no easy money um i've also learned to accept help and to and to and to not be ashamed that i can have it and to trust that my parents are not um i mean they're not like funding my yacht trip around wherever like they're funding a business venture of being a musician right and i it's they're loaning me the money and i'll pay it back in the in a generous like time installment and their support is so that i am creating something of my own rather than supporting me so that i can like learn how to be supported or something and so i think mm, so i think i'm learning how to how to both like not feel not like uh disdain the family that i come from and the and the privileges that i have um and not take advantage of them on the asking for help part um what's helped you with that like how have you gotten over that or or are, are you over that um i think I um I think a combination of things. I think um my family is like we have a lot and we also do a lot of good things with it. Like put money in places that grow good things, like schools and sports. Sports are important for communities. Hey. churches are like we do i don't know like i've learned that 
your money's only as good as like the community that it makes. Mm. And so mm. I think I have that lesson has been instilled. And because of that, I trust that my family isn't using money unwisely. And because of that, I've been able to say, and because they like the way it's been told to me is like, Isabel, we have these things so that you can do things that you want to do and so that you can do things that are good and will contribute and will be, will make, let your life be what you want your life to be. And to say like, oh, I'm not going to accept that because I need to do everything on my own is like, just unrealistic and also like an unnecessary insertion of myself into like a, a place that I don't need to, I don't. To insert some more Bible pride cometh before the fall, which it was like really right. hard for me to understand it in that context of like not asking for help, feeling that I had to carry everything was exactly that as ego and pride saying like, right. Um, but you're better than that. Like, what am I better than? Yeah. My parents want to help me with something like that's really lucky. Nobody does anything yeah. of, of any kind of consequence alone. Right. Yeah. That's a very mature and outstanding outlook on it. You're killing the game at 26. Yeah, like the killing the game. Oh Listen, I, I tell you. So one of the things that we you are really... for real, like, hold up, Keith, hold up, like yeah. for real. Like he he mentioned it earlier. Like being at 12, 12 years your senior, and like we're just coming to some of these realizations in our life yeah. as we have kids, and it's forcing us into like understanding this stuff. Like you're ahead of a lot of people, like because we know people <laughs> older than us that don't understand a lot of this. So for real, like you are killing the game. Like at 26, I bought my first condo and I had help from my family and I felt like I was a success, right? Like I'm on this path of home ownership and I'm making pretty decent money. And I got to tell you, I didn't feel like a success mm -hmm. in any way. I was going through the motions of success, but I didn't feel right. like a success. And like where you're at, because I understand, and we both understand, like the struggle of self-identity and self-realization and self-acceptance and all of those things where on an every single moment of every single day we live with ourselves, but other people don't see it. Um, mm -hmm. Like you're way ahead of the game. And it's just so cool. Like you want to define success, like you are, you are killing it to be in the, that place mentally even through the struggles that you'll have tonight or tomorrow, whatever that looks like, like to be where you're at and to be thinking about the boundary between art and reality and really trying to understand how it applies to your life. Like that's a, that's a pretty awesome thing. Um, and to be pursuing what you're pursuing and like, it's, 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 it's badass. So it gives, it gives me hope. Like looking at where a lot of folks in your generation are, uh, from a consciousness standpoint and a self-awareness standpoint, like gives me a lot of hope. I see a lot of progress. So you, you, you're hard on yourself, That's aren't you? Like so yeah. And I also like, I, I appreciate, I really appreciate that. It's like good. So, I mean, it's good to hear that someone thinks you're killing it because like, I don't know. And anybody's like, 
isolated, gross, like bag of flesh and bones, like no one ever really feels like that. And so I think like, yeah, these are things that I'm thinking about and trying to do and like moving toward. And I'm like proud of a lot of that. And I also see the up close and personal, like messy version of what that trying looks like, you know, and I, like, I'm trying so hard and I feel every day like I'm trying so hard and, and I feel like I'm making progress. Um, and yeah, and there are like positive points and points of pride, but it's, it's help. It's like nice to hear from an outsider that doesn't see me like go cry on the couch after this or whatever this morning. Like, okay. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. It's, uh, yeah. th- there's, um, something that we we love about our show is to get into the space of getting to know you we talked about this and we talk about this often i really really hope because you're like just from a if i'm watching this like you're super likable and i really hope that that it just people see the awesomeness of your effort and what you're doing so um it's good stuff I know we're coming up on time, so I don't know if you had something, Rodney. Um, no, I just I was gonna say that about time, and I was gonna give you our customary last question um, mm-hmm. and, and echo what Keith said, and just thank you for for joining us. It's been a fun conversation, and uh, it really so has. Fun. It's gonna thank put me in my head. So I'm gonna much. be in art and reality uh, all weekend, <laughs> and maybe do some writing. So I'm excited about that. Nice. Um, and there's so much I wanted to get to, and we just didn't. So it's, it's, it's good. <laughs> but I'll ask, um, you know, the audience is yours now. What, what would you like to leave them with and leave them to ponder? Hmm. One of the like rapid fire prompts, questions, activating questions you asked at the beginning is like the advice for a difficult conversation. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, yeah i or in january i was in i was at a conference of folk musicians and i met a person who's become like sort of a mentor and and in the songwriting world and he gave me advice about songwriting which i think about like all the time and which i think is so cool and profound he was like if you're gonna write a song like you have to write it honestly you have to write the most like embarrassing thing that you can think of that you can put in words, like the truest, most embarrassing thing you'd like hate for anybody to hear. And it's a really good tip for writing. And I also think it's a really good tip for like conversation and connection and relationships. And I think there's so much of that missing. I think like, there's so much that's crafted and manufactured and canned and um, I don't know. I mean, you brought that up at the beginning and I think that this conversation is an example of that. It's like say like most actual realist shit you have.